Welcome to my second conversation with Dede Ayerson of Jenga Investment Partners in the UK. In our previous conversation, we discussed some global shares from Poland, 10 Square Games, from the US, InMode, and we just mentioned Evolution Games that Dede also likes from Sweden. On today's show, we'll be turning local and we'll discuss PBT Group, and I'll also be asking Dede to share some insights and learnings from the practicalities of running a fund and also things that he's learned through his investment activities. Welcome, Dede. Thank you for having me, Shaw. Your investment fund is London-based. How did you get interested in the South African market? South Africa is quite interesting for me because when I started joining investment partners, I was looking for a country to invest in. And I mean, I'm from Nigeria, so I said, why not invest in Africa? And then when I went through the list of all the countries with uh, an established um, public market, um, was pretty much only South Africa I found that had quite a number of opportunities. So I think about 350 companies roughly. You can also invest outside the main industry of mining and industrial. So there are lots of opportunities in the consumer um, you look at ShopRite, there are also opportunities in telecoms and um, in also technology. So I really like South Africa overall in terms of as an investment destination for the public market side of things. And within the public markets, one of my favorite shares is um, PBT Group, which is a small cap um, company that's listed in South Africa. And what does PBT do? Can you take us through the business model? They actually go quite a few years back. They started in um, late 90s, early 2000s, and it was, a con- it was just that it started as a consulting company and there was a financial services segment of PBT Group. And then I think 2010, they decided to sell the financial services group and then they just spun off the consulting group. So right now, it's just a consulting company. But they are in a very interesting part of the consulting industry. So one of the big trends is data transformation. And you have a lot of sectors like financial services, retail, industrials, trying to understand their data more from a data analytics view. They're also trying to use the cloud to reduce cost. And they're trying to extend their customer reach. So I think um, PBT offer a lot of services within that area of digital transformation. And um, if you're looking at, um, so one of the things, one of the segments of the PBT Group is um, is their cloud computing consulting. So they have both Amazon Web Services certificates that help people from a more business operational view, and also Microsoft Azure certificates, which also helps um, businesses in, from a more operational view. And um, they also have other segments. So there's the insurance, health insurance segment, where they help hospitals and health insurance companies with different areas in terms of consulting. And then the final segment they have is their data analytics segment. Again, it's another growth market because a lot of companies are requesting for these demands in terms of trying to understand what the data is, trying to understand service better. Um, PBT Group um, have two models. So one, they have the per hour model where they um, charge their clients per hour. Then the other segment is more project-based where they might do a long-term project for a client. And you have a lot of the largest South African companies as clients. So one of the big clients is MTN and they've supported MTN across the whole of Africa. 
And I think about 65% of their revenue comes from their top 10 clients and 93% of their business is in South Africa. Then I think 6% is in Australia and then they have the last percent from Europe. But right now they have a lot of focus on scaling in Europe via their Amsterdam office and also improving their Australian department. So the business, I think, has lots of positive drivers um, from a demand view. And PBT are doing a very good job in terms of upscaling their contracts and upscaling their clients. So by focusing on those large clients, they're able to grow their revenue over time. I also see a very interesting, they've got a very interesting investment in an Australian company called Zeus, I think. When I looked at the market cap, the market cap is about $580 million, and I see there 5% in Zeus is about $100 million. Can you tell us a little bit about Zeus? When I initially invested in PBT, I, I disregarded Zeus as part of the investment case. And then I think it was only last year, November, there was like a media news on Zeus and how Zeus was now worth the um, PBT's investments and Zeus was now worth 100 million rands out of nowhere. And um, I mean, um, PBT's market cap is 440 million rands. So now you have a company that's about a quarter of its market cap out of nowhere. So it was an additional gain to the overall thesis. Um, Zeus is a a construction payments um, company. If you think about the construction industry, a lot of things are still done in paper and pen in terms of payments, transactions, from more financial services view. And what um, Zeus try to do is they try to digitize that um, process and keeping things online, keeping things on your, I mean, making it's easier for construction people to take on projects and make the whole payment process online without the paperwork. And over the long term, it saves costs. It makes it easier for people to track um, the progress of certain payments and uh, managed payments. So overall, it reduces the cost for their clients. And I think it's an interesting trend, um, the enablement of technology in the industrial sector. So I think Zeus is doing very well uh, when you look at the clients they're winning in Australia. And I think it's a very good asset for PBT that's even outside from their core focus in cloud and data analytics consulting. If you return to PBT, uh, what's their numbers look like and what's the evaluation in your opinion? Is it uh, tasty at the moment still for new investors? I like PBT because in, in South Africa, I think there's the companies that grow, maybe 10%, only a few of them. And then there are companies that are very deeply valued in the small cap space, mainly because of the pessimism on the South African economy. So you have two extremes in, among all listed companies. And I think PBT is actually in both of the extremes. So they're growing much faster than the average South African listed company, but at the same time, they're also among one of the cheapest if you look at it from a peer ratio-wise, where it's in single digits. So um, um, PBT last year grew their revenue by about 17%, despite the impact of COVID, and also grew their operating profits by 39%, which was quite good, um, was unexpected from myself. And it's all organic revenue growth. So this is not from acquisition that doesn't involve Zeus. This is just the actual business. And the, um, the current CEO, Elizna Reed, has been in PBT since 2000. 
And same with lots of people in the management level. They've been in the company for a very long time. And again, that's another thing that's quite attractive from PBT. And I think that's why they're pulling the numbers they're doing right now in terms of the growth, profitability, because they have a very good culture. They have people that have been in the firm for a very long time. When I was looking at Sovi online, the consultants are quite happy, about 750 consultants in general, and they're upscaling their consulting work, which is quite good from a profitability view. I saw the PBT share prices up 100% or it's done very, very well in the last year or two. Where is it now and what's your view on its intrinsic value? Is there still room for share price growth? Yes, there's still room for share price growth. The first time I looked at PBT, this was around just towards the end of 2019. Um, I looked at the business, but I didn't exactly understand what they were doing. I just saw it as a tech company. And after that, I think the share price went up 100%. And then I looked at it again. I was like, yeah, I've actually missed an opportunity here. I'd rather go back and look at it. And um, I then rechecked the thesis of PBT and what exactly was making them grow. And again, going back to that macro um, aspect of digital transformation and companies in South Africa, both insurance, telecoms, and also financial services, needing more demand for these services by consulting firms like PBT, I think there's a lot of room for growth over time. The problem with PBT is that it's hard to give it a value in terms of where I think it will be trading at in the next two to three years because it's small cap and it's very liquid. So you really need um, your institutional companies, your institutional investors to be able to buy shares in companies like PBT um, for it to really get, um, achieve its intrinsic value. I think it could double from here or if over the next two, three years. And that's just because share, that's just because one of the Zeus holding, when you look at it from a net, net asset view and also because of the potential for growth and the very low valuation. I mean, you're paying just nine times earnings um, of 2022 right now if you're buying shares in PBT, which I think is quite low for a company that can grow 20% per year over the next three to five years. So I think there's a lot of room for growth overall with PBT, but um, a drawback for PBT is the liquid, the liquid nature of its shares. In our previous conversation, we talked about uh, Swedish companies, Evolution Gaming, I think. We talked about... 10 square games in Poland, in mode in the US, and we're talking about South African shares today. How on earth are you spotting in all these different markets, these companies? What are you doing to, to find these ideas in so many different parts of the world? Yeah, it's something I struggled with in the beginning of my investment career in terms of being able to spot opportunities in very different markets, but... Over time, I learned there are tricks um, investors can use to really reduce or filter out companies they want. So I've really employed two methods. So one of them is screening. On, on There are lots of screening tools you can use online. I use Capital IQ, where there are lots of more cheaper ones that anyone can use that are free. So I screen quite often in terms of looking for companies. Maybe I could add... Um, an instruction on the screen tool to filter out all the companies that are loss-making. And that way I can go from 500 companies to 200 companies. And then I can add something like a 10% return on capital. Then it goes from 200 to 10. And then I can actually focus on those companies that already return, that have a good return on capital. 
So I've used a lot of screening tools to really filter out companies and focus on the ones that I'm looking for from that method. Another way I use to find companies globally is really actually speaking to people and speaking to local investors and just hearing their thoughts on what they're investing in and um, what they like, what they don't like. And I've found a lot of ideas from just speaking with people, uh, reading the news, and understanding what other people like. Also, Twitter is a wonderful resource. I mean, that's how I uh, got in touch with you and uh, seeing your, uh, your comments and your very informative threads. Uh, it's a wonderful tool. So everybody out there that wants to get into shares, I highly recommend it, following people like yourself and other people as well. So screening is one of the things you do, and you do, uh, well, global investing for a living. So what does your average day look like? If you're not screening, what, are you, what else are you doing? From a work view, if I'm not screening, I'm really trying to understand the companies uh, much better. So I spend a lot of time understanding the companies on the portfolio a lot more, so so I can forecast the future intrinsic value better with the more information I learn about them. I'm also I also have like a short list of about 200, 300 companies that I keep, and I spend some time trying to understand the companies on the short list much better and um, understand the management because that's very difficult to understand at first glance and also understand the revenue drivers and the business drivers over time. More recently, because of the fund setup and the transition from an investment club to an actual investment fund, there's been a lot more time allocated for administration and operational stuff, that, you know, fund stuff. So that's really how I split my time um, among the, set, the different aspects of building a fund and investing. You mentioned management. Uh, there's no easy way to understand, like you mentioned, there's no easy way to analyze people. So what do you do to try and measure management quality? Yeah, it's very hard to measure management quality. It's not like profit where you can just use a profit margin number and say, oh yeah, 20% profit margin, this is great. It's very hard. The first thing I think with management quality is really building the mental model of what makes a good management and how also understanding how a good management trans, um, translates into a good company over time. So I think that's the first step and that involves reading about previous great managements, reading about previous great companies, reading biographies of great managers over time, reading letters of people like Warren Buffett and Peter Lynch and other investors and just understand how they talk about managers so i think that's the first stage and then the second stage is then going into your portfolio companies and trying to understand what you want them to achieve over the next three to five years and map it out with what the management is doing um, right now and that way you're really you, you gain a better understanding of the company the manager and the managers and how it how they work pretty much working together it's something that I still struggle with and it's something I still make a lot of mistakes on in terms of understanding a quality management team. But um, the goal is really to minimize the mistakes over time and build better mental models that allow me to understand the management much quicker and better over the long term. In South Africa, have you made any mistakes recently or what's some of the things you've learned from the mistakes you've made here? 
in South Africa, majority of the mistakes I've made, or I've sold some things too early um, due to fears. So that's one mistake I made um, with a company called Cap Industrial. This was just before COVID last year. I had bought shares in Cap Industrial and um, the near-term outlook for chemical for the chemical industry, the plastic industry and the textile industry and logistics, which are areas where Cap Industrial operates in was quite gloomy because of COVID-19. But I really underestimated how well the management were going to cope with all the negative um, situations for the industries and um, lost a lot of money in terms of money I didn't make that I would have made if I kept my shares there. So that's one mistake I've made. Um, The other mistake I've made, the other type of mistakes I've made really goes down to the cyclical companies selling things too early, buying things too early. An example is um, Merafe uh, in Chrome Resources. I went in way too late in terms of there was some supply chain problems in the Chrome industry, and that made the Chrome prices go up. And I sold them before that happened and lost money in Merafe. And if you look at the Marafi share price, it's gone up 100% in the last, um, I think in the last six to, in the last year or year to date. And even though it's gone up 100%, I lost about 10% of my money on Marafi. So it's it's one of the pitfalls of investing in um, cyclical com- companies. And for local investors that want to do what you or retail investors that want to get involved in small caps globally, not only in South Africa, how would you, what would you suggest? How would you advise them to go about that? There's a lot of brokers out there that I think are quite good if you're looking from a, from a global portfolio view. So I use IG.com and Saxo Markets. I really like IG.com because if you're investing in another currency and a company listed in another currency, the FX rates are quite good. Um, Saxo gives you a very broad range of companies globally so you can find very very small cap companies in Poland or in Sweden in Saxo markets another broker is Interactive Brokers which is also quite good um, if you're looking for a very diversified global view and then more locally in South Africa I use Absa Stock Brokers but I've also had Easy Equities is quite good for retail investors looking to invest in um, flagship companies. Just to end off, uh, what ideas have been particularly influential in shaping your investment philosophy? You've mentioned Peter Lynch, but more specifically ideas that have really made a difference. Yeah, that's a very good question. It's been a multiple range of things in terms of ideas that have shaped um, my investment philosophy. I think overall investment philosophies are always changing. There's always something coming in and going out. There's always something new to learn and unlearn. And I think that's the beauty of investing. It's like a lifelong learning machine where you just keep learning every year. More recently, majority of my learnings has come from my experience investing in companies. And there's been some good companies that have done well and I've learned why they went well. And there have also been some companies that haven't done well. And I think that's actually where majority of my learning in terms of understanding businesses better, understanding management better, and also having a better method and process of valuing companies have come from, from those ones that haven't gone well in the global portfolio. 
an outside experience. There's, I mean, like you said, Peter Lynch actually going through his books and his um, methodology and process. I think that has been a tremendous beneficiary for me from a learning view. And that was Dede Eason of Jenga Investment Partners. Thank you, Dede. Thanks.